Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Through 18, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up back to James. It'll be right after Hebrews. If you've hit Peter, 1 Peter, you've gone a little too far. It's a little book in the back of your Bible, and it'll also be on the screen. But we'll start in verse 9 here. Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast in a trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Um, So verse 9, it starts off here. So again, uh, we're looking at trials in this whole section of how to endure well, um, how to endure as a Christian, how to, how to live this life. Um, if, if you are a Christian, this is how to do it. This is kind of like um, an instructional manual of some sense, but James is really working to encourage the Christians that have been persecuted on the outskirts of town. But in verse 9, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now, this is incredibly contrary to what culture tells us today, right? Let the lowly brother, this might be talking about spiritual, this might be talking about financial, but boast in his exaltation. Uh, The modern day mantra today is live your best life. Don't really know what that means. I think many people don't know what that means. I know it irritates one of my best friends to like the nth degree. He just, it, he boils inside. His, his blood starts boiling because when people say, live your best life. And I'm sorry if you've used that in a caption before. We're not really sure what it means. But what I think it means is that the world is trying to encourage you to live the best you can possibly live while here on earth. Get the manicures that you want. Treat yourself to that nice car. Get that nice suit. Date that nice girl. Do whatever you want that makes you happy. And what I actually think it means and what they're trying to, what it try, what, what they're trying to attempt at it meaning is make your reality the same exact way you make your social media to be. What, what you want your social media outlook to be and how you portray yourself that way, make that your reality. Because overall, most people, there's a disconnect. But if you live your best life, there's this beautiful connection. And yet Jesus' way is no. But the lowly boast in their exaltation. It's completely countercultural. He's always been countercultural. And so let me let you in on a little secret here, church. Christians will never be cool or relevant. Just, I mean, I got a cool little uh, Hawaiian shirt that I got on sale, but will never be relevant or cool. In actuality, the New Testament, Jesus oftentimes says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. 
And that doesn't mean we should, and I'll, I'll touch on this a little later, that doesn't mean we go out there and just rip people apart and just truth bomb everybody. It's called Bible thumping. It's not what we do. But by nature, but by who we are, the uncomfortable presence that we bring based on the fact that we live out truth should make people uncomfortable. Why is there something different about me than about them? Why are the people from Pacific Point Church, why are these Christians making me feel uncomfortable? And you can kind of get that sense. The world is pushing itself against us. But here, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Jesus kind of says this in his countercultural way in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it'll be up on the screen, Matthew 5, verse 3, in uh, one of the greatest sermons of all time. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he continues in this parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to, uh, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And you kind of get that feeling today, right? The blurred lines of righteousness between the church and the world. The world is living out what they think is righteous without the Bible. They want a biblical worldview without the Bible. They want it without God, but they live out these righteous things, right? I'm a good person. I'm charitable. And now you know what? I'm actually beyond the church because I advocate for homosexuality. I advocate for trans. I, I, I march with BLM. I do all these great things in addition to church, everything that you're doing too. I tolerate and I'm progressive. And so these, blur, these lines are beginning to blur between culture's identity of righteousness and God's identity of righteousness. And so here he's talking about at the time, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, that they who thought they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This is Jesus. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like, that, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So look, financial or spiritual. We, talk, we look at this passage and we go, oh, it's talking about the poor. It's talking about the rich. This might be, Jesus often, when he talked about riches and when he talked about being poor, he often was referencing your spiritual disposition. But regardless of where you're at, you might be thinking in here, you might be really struggling with finances. I want to talk to you too. You might think that maybe compared to the person across the room or compared to the other side of town in Newport, you might not be as wealthy. But regardless if it's financial or spiritual, a low disposition puts you in a need to trust God more. No matter what. No matter where you're at in life, whether it's a low spiritual disposition or it's a low financial disposition, God will allow that in order to draw you into more affection and a deeper affection to him. Uh, verse 10, we'll continue on in James. And the rich in his humiliation, let the rich boast in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. So I mentioned just now that some of you in here might be feeling like you struggle financially. I know I struggle a little bit financially. Uh, I had to get this on sale in that full retail price, you know. So um, I'm also just foolish. I have a, again, McKenna is fantastic with finances. She's teaching me a lot. Um, but uh, just so you know, in here in this room, y'all, everybody in here, I assume, not, not assume, I can easily assume that we're in the top 3% of the world's richest people. 
right? It's uh, if you have a change of clothes, if you have running water, and if you have a roof over your head, you're in the top 3% of the richest people on earth. So there's, you're without excuse. This applies to you, exactly. We're all rich, and all of what we do, John mentioned it earlier in the announcement, is only possible by God, through God. Um, it's, it's common gifts of grace that we receive. The breath that's coming in and out of your lungs right now is a common gift of grace. Your talents that you've been given, whatever they might be, you might not say, I can't draw real good. Sign up for the art class. Um, <laughs> all the way to the coincidental situations that landed you right here. It's all from God. So listen, God is not opposed to wealth. I want to make that absolutely clear. God is not opposed to wealth, but he's also not racing to get you out of a tough situation. If you feel like you're in a lowly state, if you feel like you're not that wealthy or not that rich, he's not racing to get you out of that because again, uh, a low disposition brings you to and draws you to the Lord. He's not opposed to this. What he is opposed to is a heart that's not completely fixated and devoted to him. So this section here is the what of this passage, the what of this sermon is that there is an ongoing battle for your citizenship. There's an ongoing battle. You either belong to this kingdom, this temporary kingdom, or you belong to the eternal kingdom. And the enemy wants to woo you in to believing that this is the best it'll ever be. Think about Jesus's temptation. Jesus, right after being blessed with the Holy Spirit, goes out into the desert and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. What does the enemy tempt him with? It's the only thing that the enemy can tempt him with and us with. It is hunger or pleasure, right? Jesus, turn that rock into bread. I know you're hungry. I know you're starving. Just do it. Just turn that rock into Chipotle. You have the power to do so. I might. But hunger or pleasure wants to bring you into satisfying that hunger that you have to satisfy here on earth. The next thing is he takes him up onto a high ridge and says, all of what you see, you can have. You can be authority over all of it. You can have the power to do whatever you want. Same temptation for us. And lastly, he takes him up into uh, to a roof and says, jump off and the angels will save you. He tempts him with immortality or a life without consequences. And that's what the enemy wants to woo you into. Whatever sin you're struggling with, whatever thing that you're wrestling with, whatever you want to run to, if it's not God, he wants to promise you all these beautiful end results. One of my favorite speakers talks about uh, sin. Uh, his name is Matt Chandler. He talks about sin like if it were a baby lion cub. We have a few dogs in here, which is beautiful. I love the pets. Um, they're kind, and they will never grow up to, or not never, but they're most likely like a lion. A lion cub will grow, and it's really cute, and it's nice. Uh, there's a show called when, when Animals Attack. And so people will take in these like animals and like it's really cute and it's fluffy and it's nice. But it gets to a point where it's an adult. It grows to a certain point where it's an adult and absolutely wrecks the owner. And that's like our sin. If we cozy up to our sin, if we think, oh, it's so cute, it's so fluffy, and we keep it to the side, eventually we're going to go back to that cage and say it is overbearing. And like, it, it, we can't control it anymore. But that's the, that's the deception of the enemy. And so the question is, are you a citizen of this kingdom here? Because there's a lot of really good things in this kingdom. I'm not saying, I don't want to tell you. I think, too, sometimes there's this misconception of the church. The church promises that the Christian life is, is, is amazing and without flaw. And it's going to be the best life. It's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be without pain. And here, James is saying the exact opposite. In actuality, uh, church sometimes conveys that if you're not a Christian, you can't live this life fully. This life can't be fully lived, but uh, I actually don't think that's completely true. You know some people who are living out a full and happy life without God. 
They're driving around the Ferrari. They have a vacation home in the Bahamas. Uh, they're sleeping with whoever they want without any consequence. And so we compare our lives to them. We compare the lifestyle to them. How, how in the world do they get that? And I don't. I'm supposed to be obeying you, God. I'm supposed to be in line with you. Why am I not getting the pleasures of this world? It's because you belong to the eternal kingdom. We'll continue on that. Uh, we'll, we'll, start, we'll, go, we'll pick it back up in verse 13. We'll come back to 12. But verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now that little break right there, some theologians would say that break is uh, misplaced, that 16 should actually be connected to 15, because the deception is to believe that Jesus or God has placed these temptations in my life, or God has stirred these affections, right? I think it's Lady Gaga, God can't make mistakes, I was born this way. But uh, totally contrary, that's not true. The desires within our heart were not given by God. Those that are contrary to him were the result of a fallen and broken world. God actually is holy. It's his primary and most favorite attribute about himself. Um, in, in your texting, in your emails, you want to like, if you want to highlight something, if you want to make sure that somebody, your boss or somebody, a client reads it, you're going to bold it, you're going to highlight it, you're going to underline it. In the Bible, they use repetitive language. And the only word, the only descriptive word of God that is repeated three times is holy, holy, holy. It's not love, love, love. It's not mercy, mercy, mercy. It's not grace, grace, grace. It's not kind, kind, kind. It's holy, holy, holy. Holy meaning completely separate from sin. Can't touch it, can't associate it with it. Did you know that there are certain things God can't do? My God can do anything. He can't. Can't associate with sin. He can't, it's a, it's a paradox. He can't create a rock that's too heavy for him to pick up. He can't create a hot pocket that's too hot for him to eat. He can't associate with sin. And so we need to understand that he's completely separate from him. Additionally to that, temptations, trials, tribulations are not always from the enemy and his legion. We like to blame the enemy. We like to say that, man, the devil's tempted me. Man, the devil's got me. Man, the enemy's got me. But I want to let you know, church, we can live confidently and in peace that the enemy and his legion are not omniscient, are not omnipotent, and are not omnipresent. We have to take responsibility for what is within us, the sinful nature that is within us. We can't fear the enemy anymore. We don't have to fear the enemy anymore because he's not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, and he's not all-present. Sometimes, sure. Sometimes it is an intrigue and a pulling toward by the enemy, maybe. But we have to take responsibility. Sin and disobedience is often rooted in our own desires, and we have to crush it. Our own desires, sexual promiscuity, homosexuality, stealing, lying, coveting, hatred, anger, violence, contempt, gossip, overworking, all these things, yes, I might have a natural inclination toward, but we were called to do one of three things, and we'll get to that in a second, but it is like going to a doctor, like this, it is like going to a doctor for an annual checkup. Doctor, what do you got for me? He runs a couple tests. Great. Our doctor comes back and goes, um, uh, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but uh, you have cancer. You have cancer. You've been diagnosed with cancer. 
some of you in here have been diagnosed with cancer. You know what that feels like. You, you may have been on the other end of the receiving line hearing that a family member has had cancer. You know the depth and the weight and the heartbreak of that diagnosis. But that would be like saying, what? How? What are you talking about? I feel great. I feel fine. I'm a full bill of health. I, I eat healthy. I work out. What do you mean I have cancer? What are you talking about? But the doctor out of love says, no, listen to me. You have cancer. You may have a growing cancer inside you right now that is called sin. And with cancer, like sin, with sin, like cancer, there are three options. You can take care of it now. You can take care of it as soon as possible. The doctor says, let's create a game plan. Let's go. We're either going to do radiation or we're going to do chemotherapy. It's going to suck. Which, by the way, who told you that good gifts, and we'll get to this, who told you that good gifts are always enjoyable? Oh, God is so good. I'm so blessed. Baloney. Blessed. What blessed means is given something, something has been given to you, particularly by God, in order for you to glorify or praise the one who gave it to you. That's not always a good thing here, people. I, I could ask Blair here, was chemotherapy good? No, not enjoyable. Not enjoyable. Uh, was chemotherapy good? I can tell you. It was not enjoyable. It was a stinking good thing because he and I can stand here and be in communion with all of you. Was the cross a good thing? Absolutely, 100%. But was it enjoyable? No. So, man, when, when do Christians show themselves as Christians? It's when they're going through the absolute worst of times and they can look someone in the face and say, I have so much joy and I am blessed beyond belief. But what are you, talk what are you talking about? This sounds terrible. This is how we live contrary to culture, is we take care of it. The bad thing in our life, the good thing in our life, is not always enjoyable, but there are three options. Sorry, there's a side note. There are three options that you can do in regards to taking care of your sin. You can take care of it ASAP. You can take care of it right now. You can wait. Wait until it hurts. Wait until there's punishment. Like he said earlier, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, or another word for that is humiliated. It's the same word, same root word, humbled and humiliated. You can either do the work of humbling yourself and saying, getting on your knees, pounding on your chest and saying, God, I am a sinner. I can't do this on my own. Or he will lovingly humiliate you. So you can wait and delay it and then deal with it once the pain starts to come out. Or third, you can deny it and be bound to the temporary. You have a ticking clock. You can deny it and be bound to the temporary. Because listen, for non-Christians, this life, it's a fantastic life. It's a gift given to you by God. This, for a non-Christian, this is the best it'll ever be, and it only gets worse from here. For the Christian, the good news is, this is the worst it'll ever be. And it only gets better from here. Think about what we get to enjoy, the good gifts that we get to enjoy. AC, John mentioned donuts, hockey. I love hockey. We get to surf later. Like we get to enjoy being in relationship with one another, marriage, kids. There's so many good things that this world has to offer. And yet for the Christian, this is the worst it'll ever be. And I want to make a distinction of what a Christian is. A Christian is not somebody who just attends church. That might delineate and diminish our church attendance here. I'm so sorry. But... You're just as much a Christian by showing up to church as I am a car when I show up to the garage. Or just as much a bucket of fries if I show up to McDonald's every Sunday. 
A, a Christian is not just somebody who attends church. A Christian is somebody who is wholly devoted. A little history lesson I learned recently. A Christian, Christian, the word Christian was actually a derogatory term to identify the weirdos in the Bible times, in biblical times. They're people who acted like Christ, who claimed Christ. We know that. I can, it's a poor analogy, but I can make the equivalency of a trumper, Right? You immediately thought, the little giggles, you immediately thought of somebody who looks like, acts like, talks like a trumper. A devout person to this man is similar to that of a Christian. Do people call you a Christian because you say so? Or do people call you a Christian because of how you live it out? Those who belong to God as a Christian are his children. We sometimes like to blame God for things. And non-Christian, if you're not a child of God, you will not be blessed by the things of God. Uh, last week, we talked about those who, are, uh, are, who doubt, who are unsure if this is true or not, who are unsure if I should be a Christian or are unsure if I should be a Christian. Regardless, I'm going to pray to this ethereal God that I've heard about on TV or through my family because they're Christian, and yet they're not getting the things that they're praying for because they might not be a child of God. That would be like me trying to attempt calling the mayor and saying, hey, mayor, I'm really desperate for 100 bucks. Could I get 100 bucks? He's like, No. But he gets a phone call from the child, says, hey, daddy, can I get 100 bucks? He goes, absolutely. Let me write it to you right now because you are my child. If I tried doing that, it wouldn't work. I'm not his child. And so we like to blame God. Sometimes we blame God for our disobedience. We ask, why? Why me? Why is this happening to me? But there's a disconnect with this question of why because it's an emotional question. And so what are we really asking? Who do you think you are, God? Who do you think you are letting me go through this? What did I do to deserve this? And where were you? I was sharing the gospel with somebody and he almost got driven to tears. Unfortunately, our, our conversation got cut off, but he, he got driven to tears because he said, God was never there for me. What we're really asking when we ask, why God, why me, is who do you think you are? And with every question, Jesus, God has a gentle, patient, loving response in his word. Who do you think you are? Child, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is who I am and who I've always been. What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. Nothing. You were born into a crummy situation. You were born into sin. You've done on your own merit nothing deserving of this, but all have sinned and fall short of my glory. However, even while you were still a sinner, I sent my son to die for you. And where were you? Where were you when I was going through this? Where were you when this happened? Why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you stop this evil? Where were you? Beloved child, I'm not going anywhere. Even when you fail, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For I, the Lord, your God, will go with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. God, despite our depravity, despite our disobedience, will always, 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 always have a loving and patient response. We just have to go to his word. All of that. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. For all have sinned, heaven falls short of the glory of God. And yet while you were still sinners, I came and died for you. Romans 3, 23 and Romans 5, 8. Be strong and courageous. I will never leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. It's all in his scripture. That's not just made up based on my emotion of how I think God might respond to me. That is rooted in truth of who he is and who his character is. And so listen, the best life is lived. Don't get it twisted. It's not a 
most enjoyable life, not the most fruitful life, not the most like rich and wealthiest. The best life while here is lived when we go to God, the holy God, and remain in him. The best life lived is when we go to God and remain in him. When troubles come our way, we have a tendency to run to sin or run to what we know. When troubles come our way, when difficulties run away, right? We want to make the easy decision and go on the internet. We want to make the easy decision and get angry at somebody. We want to make the easy decision and hit up that person late at night. We want to make the easy decision and be impatient when my food doesn't come out quick enough at the restaurant. We try to find solace in the temporary promises and lies of this world, but God is pleading for us to come to him, pleading, always pleading to come to him, the Father, the Holy God. He says in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We want to run. Our, autom- our, our, our automatic response is to run to something else other than God when he has his arms wide open for us. Another passage, which is one of my favorites, is John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Abide meaning remain. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What a God that we serve. A God that wants us to be joyful. A Father who wants to give us good things. When we are aligned with him, our desires are aligned with his. So we can ask with whatever we want. If I'm aligned with my coach, if I'm playing hockey and I'm aligned with my coach and I say, coach, I want more hockey pucks. We need more hockey pucks. A bad coach would say, no, you don't need more hockey pucks. A good coach says, here, here's more so that you can flourish at what you're trying to do. You're aligned with what I have for you. And so it takes us back to actually verse 12 in James. Blessed or happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed or happy is the man who remains steadfast. How much better do you feel? How much more joyful can you walk into church on a Sunday morning when you remain steadfast Saturday night? And there's no condemnation. If you, we have an opportunity later for communion to repent. There's something that happened last Saturday night. Please under no conviction, under no circumstances, are you condemned as a child of God? You have the opportunity to repent of that. But previously too, maybe last night, or maybe you did. This morning, how much easier is it to hug others, to see the pastor, to shake hands when you remained steadfast late last night? Remain implies being consistent, fighting, being diligent, persevering, and steadfast meaning resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. But this is to those who love him. 
not to those just trying to check off a box, not to those just trying to perform different duties and responsibilities, not to church attenders, those who prayed a prayer once, those who stood at church camp, those whose family is Christian, the charitable or the good person. This is to those who loved him. Blessed or happy are those wholly devoted to him, dead to self and my decisions. I'm not gonna choose the thing that I want to do. I want to do X, Y, and Z, but I know that God wants me to do A, B, and C. I'm gonna run to him, the people that are wholly devoted to him, dead to self and alive in Christ, children of God. And so I say this in almost every one of my messages. It is a profound truth found in scripture, particularly Psalm 73, and I wanna share with you, I wanna share it with you today. Hell is not for bad people. Hell is not for bad people, and heaven is not for good people. In fact, there will be a lot of terrible people in heaven, and there will be a lot of really good people in hell. Hell is not reserved for the terrorists, Hitlers, and Disney villains of the day. Similar to the bathroom, it is reserved for people who need to use the bathroom. Hell is a location. The bathroom is a location. Hell is a location for people who want nothing to do with God. Heaven is for people who desire, who yearn after, and recognize the need for God. It is a location for those that want to be with God. And so if you want nothing to do with God here in the temporary, why in the world would you think that you would want him for eternity? Of course I'm going to heaven. Are you kidding me, you silly? I'm a good person. I don't hurt anybody. I'm not Hitler. How's your walk with the Lord? A walk. When's the last time you opened up your Bible? When's the last time you heard from your father? When's the last time you just prayed to pray just to talk? Not to ask for something, not to put in three quarters and hope for a bag of chips. He's not a vending machine. Hell is not for bad people. Hell is for people like me and like you. But heaven is for a location like people, for people like me and like you. When we recognize our need for a savior. Listen, when you remain steadfast, you receive light, life. When you remain steadfast, you receive life. Again, like refraining from what you wanted to do Saturday night and you receive the life that is Sunday morning. The hurt and trouble you are saved from is immense. Jesus' ways are often contrary to what we want to do, our culture, our nature, and our sinful tendencies. Come Thou Fount actually puts it perfectly. It's an amazing hymn um, that's filled with a lot of truth, um, but it puts us perfectly into what our heart disposition is. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thou grace, not like, now like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Bind it like a chain, like a fetter, Bind it to thee, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We have a tendency to wander away from God, to make sure that it's all about us, to put ourselves in the throne versus allowing God to rule and reign. We are prone to wander. God, we feel it but bind our hearts to you, please. If that is our plea today, that's a win. Bind our hearts to thee, that even throughout my day today and all throughout this week, I could be bound to deciding what it is that you desire for my life. 
Verse 17, we'll continue in James, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. Now, many of these gifts, we talk about these gifts and the common gifts of grace. Many of these gifts are accessible to everyone. It's a beautiful thing. This is how good God is, despite being a sinner, despite not being part of his family. He's out in front in the front lawn giving out hot dogs on 4th of July. Actually, all year long, he's, he's giving these common gifts of grace. Many of these gifts are accessible to everyone. Pleasure, sex, gift, created before the fall. Pleasure, justice, good-tasting food, sunlight, warmth, rest, health, marriage, children, fun, games, competition, nature, creativity, art, media. But the best gift he gives is also available to everyone, but will only be received, unfortunately, by a small group. That is our sanctification to God. Our sanctification to God. First Thessalonians 4 talks about the will of God. We often ask, what's God's will? What's God's will for my life? Should I go to this college or should I go to this college? Should I do this career or this career? Should I marry this person? Here's the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4. This gift is also accessible to everyone, but unfortunately, only a small group of people will receive it. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. This is it. This is why you're here. Your sanctification. Being made right with God. That we could be in relationship with him. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexuality, sexual morality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress or wrong his neighbor in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The best gift, other than the common grace of grace that everybody receives, the best gift that he gives us is our sanctification. This God who there is no variation or, sh- or shadow due to change. The God doesn't cast a shadow. This God doesn't change. There is no changing because of the daylight. He is shadowless. He doesn't change. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever has given us the most incredible gift ever, the way to be in relationship with him. You gotta ask yourself if you truly believe that that is the best. Because some of you in here might've walked in going, God isn't good to me. God doesn't understand. I need such and such. But what he says is true. And what he says is that the best gift that I can possibly give you is not only this life, but doing this life in relationship with me. But why should I care? Why should you care? Why does any of this matter? What's so important about why we preach? What's so important about when John Blue preaches? What's so important about coming to church? What's so important about this truth? Verse 18. Of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own will, out of the abundance of his love from the most powerful being ever, he chose to come off of his throne and intervene, intercede for us on our behalf. Of his own will, of his own doing, we can barely get up off the couch in order to go feed our child food. God, the most powerful being ever, 
chose to do what? What did he do? He brought us forth by the word of truth. He brought us forth. He saved us. What is the word of truth is not the correct question. Who is the word of truth? Who is the word of truth? And we find that in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. In the beginning of everything was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Great. What in the world does that mean? Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He reconciled. He gave a way to sanctify, to be in relationship with us, sinners, adulterers, traitors, evil, terrible people, to himself, a perfect, spotless, never changing. He's never going to cheat on you. He's never just going to change his mind. He's never going to men in black this whole room and say, Kink, I changed the whole thing. I'm doing it over. Y'all stink. Y'all are awful. I'm, doing, I'm redoing the whole script. He'll never change and never change his mind. The loving, good, loyal, comforter, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, and holy Father. But how? He brought us forth through the cross. How? Through Jesus. It was through Jesus' death and resurrection. The good gift of the cross that was certainly not enjoyable. And the good gift of resurrection that, mind you, was not enjoyable either. When somebody betrays you, how quickly are you to go run back and try to reconcile the relationship? It took him three days to come back to the people who murdered him on a cross. He chose to come back. He's pleading in the garden, God, any way, anything else, please. We have the ability to men in black these people, to flash a camera and say, forget everything. Let's rewrite the script. Can I just like hug a teddy bear or something? Something else other than this way. Can we rewind? Can we have an alternative universe? Can I have six stones and snap my fingers and everything goes away? God says, no, you have to obey me. Jesus in the garden learned how to obey. Not my will, but yours be done. I will go to the cross. I will take on the punishment that the people in Pacific Point Church in 2022 deserve to have. And in three days time, I'm not gonna hold a grudge. I'm not gonna call people out. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna defeat death. I'm gonna show up to the disciples and go, where were you? I was waiting. I even like moved the rock a little bit for you. What happened? Or Thomas, Thomas, how dare you? Who do you think you are? No sarcasm, no issue, no joking, no problems. Disciples, take a look at my hands. You believe me now? Put your hand in my side. You believe me now? I came back for you. This is the best gift. And we recognize that we need to do something about it. We have something growing inside of us that we can't take care of on our own. Jesus did. He proved it time and time again. Isn't this deserving of trust? Isn't this deserving of repentance? Isn't this deserving of praise? We worship not to prove to ourselves that we're a good singer. Realize that, right? This is out of the abundance of joy of what, and recognition of what God did for us. So church, can we just absolutely blow the roof off this place where Gunwale goes, what in the world are they doing over there? Because we can recognize 
and acknowledge the fact that we have received the best and perfect gift, which is our sanctification. There's nothing better. And good grief, like how much more free can you live in this world that it's not up to you? It's out of your control. You can live freely. You can live openly. You can live. You, can't, you don't even have to worry about what you have to say with your next client or your boss. You don't have to be worried about the next dinner that you have. Oh, I got to impress this guy. I got to make sure that he knows I'm cool. I'm tight. I got to say certain things. I got to not say certain things. You can live freely and confidently. No more do you have to worry about preaching the gospel of God because of what he has done. Sign up for the class, please. Develop your arsenal, develop your strength, develop your weaponry, develop your knowledge. We need it. I, I, I certainly need it. I, I brain fart all the time. But somehow, too, the Holy Spirit, in moments where I feel the most weak, the Holy Spirit stirs up an affection in me to be able to preach the good news. That's only done when recognized that I'm depraved, I'm incapable. Only God is capable of making sure that the best life lived is when we go to him and remain in him. This is the best we can do. This is the best it could be here. So how to endure well, in conclusion, how to endure well. James 1, 9 through 11 is indicating that there is a battle for our citizenship. A battle for our citizenship. Do you belong to God's kingdom or are you bound to this temporary home and eternal separation from God? Uh, Seth, I think there's a slide for it. Thank you. James 1, 12 through 16 talks about being steadfast, remaining steadfast, and you will receive life. We're depraved sinners with a life-threatening condition. What are you going to do about it and when? And lastly, James 1, 17 through 18, God yearns for our sanctification. He's a good giver. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He desires a relationship with us through his loving sacrifice. His loving sacrifice. He's yearning as a good father wants any good relationship, as a good mother, as a good parent wants any good loving relationship where the kid runs over and gives a huge hug. You realize God is a parent. God is our father. So like some of you in here might be concerned that I've out the cross. I'm not good. I'm not worthy. And one of the most beautiful analogies I've ever heard in my entire life was at FCA camp. When the pastor said, we like children, the Bible is distinct and specific in the language. We like children are trying to take our first steps in this world and in Christianity, like a child taking its first steps towards their father or towards their parent. And what does the parent do when the child falls flat on his face and starts crying? How dare you? Get up, you big baby. Are you kidding? You're not strong enough. You're so weak. How did you let your legs fall? How did you fail? How could you not make it to me? That's not a good parent, and that's not the God we serve. Like a good parent, he runs over to us. The child failure of a baby runs up, grabs us, hugs us, and goes, I'm so proud of you, my sweet, beautiful child. I'm so proud of you. I love you dearly. This is the God who we serve. He has paved a way for us to be that child that waddles over to him, fails constantly, and yet can still be picked up by him. The best life is lived when we go to him and remain in him. Let me pray, and then we'll hop into a time of uh, communion. God, we just thank you so much for uh, 
your word. We thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for James and that you work through him and work through his life. That we can come to you freely, openly in this building in America to um, learn more about you. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And, and thank you so much for paving the way to be in relationship. God, for those that whose affections were stirred to understand your truth, I pray that you would work in them to have the courage to talk to somebody about it. That there are people, men and women in here, who'd be happy to answer questions, God. Um, bless those people who, are, who you've prepared to answer those questions. Bless the people who are going to have those conversations today. But for those people who are unsure of what in the world is going on, who you've already been working in their life to understand that you want a relationship with them, will you please give them the boldness to reach out and ask, to reach out to you and ask, to talk to somebody and ultimately be saved, God. We want to see more people saved. We want to see more people brought into the kingdom to recognize that this is the worst it will ever be and it only gets better from here. We thank you for the relationship. We thank you for the gifts. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.